Good morning. And I, and I brought a tie, but I saw that your pastor doesn't wear it. He even uses his shirt outside. <laughs> I'll stay with a, with a, with a suit if you, if you don't mind. But I like that relaxed atmosphere that you have here, kind of formal, kind of relaxed, kind of very good. I enjoy it very much. But he got me in trouble, Pastor Trent, when he called me or texted me and said if I could preach in First China Grove for Baptist men. And I don't know what to tell First Baptist Church, a church that has been leading our association in so many areas, doing ministries, traveling abroad, and doing so many wonderful things that I don't need to repeat to you because you know already. So, Lord, what do I do? What can I tell them? What can I exhort them? Because my teaching has to be saying good things, but also exhorting some people that need to be encouraged. And then he throws us the second one. He says, it is Baptist men. I say, uh-oh. <laughs> I've tried to start Baptist men ministries again and again and again, never been successful in doing that in any church that I've been. I mean, I've joined and served in some areas, but never have been able to start. So what can I tell First Baptist China Grove about Baptist men today, Sunday the 22nd? So I cheated. I came last Sunday. <laughs> trying to listen God's word, trying to listen God's inspiration last week. And it was interesting that when he saw me, he said, Jonas, it was next week, not today. <laughs> so we got a wonderful pastor. We got a wonderful pastor who listens to the Lord. He loves the Lord and does very great things, like calling the missionary to come here. And last week I was concerned that, that he was reading John 13 and finishing John 13. I hope he didn't jump into John 14 because it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, John 14. We're going to read it. If you want to go find it, it will be okay. And let me tell you something about John 14. God used John 14 when I was nine years old in a VBS, in a vacation Bible school in Caracas, capital of Venezuela, to accept Jesus. So I accepted Jesus because somebody read to me this passage. During my sermon today, I'll explain you what happened in my heart, what made me believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, uh, using this passage in John 14. But... Um, what is interesting is that I have never preached about John 14. I don't recall. Last December, I celebrated 42 years preaching the Word of God. Not consecutively. Some years I have not done anything about preaching. I've been involved in so many things. But 42 years. And I remember I said, I never preached about that passage. Hmm. It was interesting listening to Brother Trent and the Lord was telling me today's message verse by verse. I thought it was all the way to verse 7. No, let's stop in verse 6. But we're going to read the Word of God, believing that He has something for Baptist men, Baptist boys, Baptist teenagers, Baptist seniors, Baptist all of us, okay? I got a very strange title for today's message because I could probably not use it in other denominations. The, church, the Word of God is for everybody, okay? Not only for Methodist, Presbyterian, for Baptists, for everybody, Pentecostal, Catholic, everybody can read the Word of God, amen? amen? And I titled today's message, If Jesus is a Baptist Man. If Jesus is a Baptist man, okay? I'm going to go through the six verses, explain it to you what it means, what happens, how the Lord touched my heart when I was nine years old, but also how Baptist men can follow Jesus in this passage to be probably a better Baptist man. I don't know how to be a better Baptist man when you had a, you had a collection here of all things you did last year. Man, I'd, I'd like to join your church. If this is what Baptist man is about, I want to join your church because it inspires me to do more, to be a better Christian when I see that Baptist men are doing so good here in First China. I really recognize that. But let's, let's read the passage, uh, John 14, 1 through 6. 
Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I, I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because Jesus sent us so our hearts will not be troubled. Lord, right now we're troubled with so many things. I'm troubled with maybe my father's health. I'm troubled with things that are happening in our office. I'm troubled with churches that need a pastor. This church is troubled because they need a youth minister, a family minister, and a music part-time minister. Father, we have different, different troubles, but Jesus came so our hearts will not be troubled. Thank you, Jesus, for the peace that you offer us. Thank you, Father, because you sent Jesus. Father, that Jesus will be the king of our hearts this morning, starting today that he will rule completely our lives. And we pray these things, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you another thing about myself, and the message is not about me, but there's so many interesting things that when I came to the United States in 96, I wanted to be a music minister of a church, part-time or full-time, but I wanted to do that, so I'm not applying right now for your position. <laughs> I was playing the organ. That's what I learned to play with the bass. I love how a person could move the left foot and play that bass and do wonderful things. I learned how to play the organ. Then I had to switch to the piano, and then to do missions, I learned to play the guitar, the ukulele, so many different instruments to just be a musician. But doing that is to serve the Lord. And then one day, when I was 15, somebody told me, why don't you preach? Stand up and preach. I said, I don't know how to preach. They trained me how to do it. And right before turning 16, I was in a pulpit preaching. I don't know how he did it. I remember it was like five minutes, and I sat down. I can't remember what passage. I remember it was December 25th, 1980. That's all I remember. <laughs> I can't remember anything else. But Jesus opens here, or Jesus transitions to talking from Peter, that our pastor was talking last week, to what he's saying right now. He's telling his disciples, 11, because maybe if you're following the teaching of John 13, there's one that already left. He was left thinking that he was going to prepare the meal, but he was not going to do that. He was getting ready to come and kiss Jesus. So we have 11 disciples, right? 11? 11? Okay, we have 11. And he says, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And that's a peace message. That is a comforting message to us. He tells us not to be troubled. And this world offers us trouble. We think we find, can find happiness. My friends in Venezuela, my friends in Colombia, my friends in here in the United States, send me a message. Choose this day to be happy. This is the perfect day to be happy. Like, man, I, I was just waiting for that message to start being happy. I mean, I just make jokes out of those kind of things. Because I believe that only, happiness can only come following Jesus and serving him. That, that's my, my theology. They believe other things, and that's fine. I, I use this time to share the gospel with them. But Jesus is telling us not to be troubled. How can Jesus tell us not to be troubled if he is God? Shouldn't he just come out of there and experience what we experience and live what we're going through so he can tell us not to be troubled? Do you know that in the Gospel of John, Jesus is told that Jesus was troubled at least three times. I'm not going to go through the whole, the whole uh, study of, of being, Jesus being troubled. But let's go to John 11.33. John 11.33. 
Jesus comes, not to the funeral, not to heal his friend Lazarus. He comes to talk with Lazarus' sisters. And they start in the dialogue, and finally he says that he's the resurrection and life. But listen what John eleven thirty three says. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry. Some Bible say angry, some Bible say trouble, and his spirit was deeply moved. This is something that John appreciates. This is something that John is seeing, that Jesus was troubled. He was shaking. He was confused. He was angry because probably of death, what death does, what sin does. So he was probably angry, but he was troubled. John 13, 21, a couple of chapters right before where we are, John 13, 21 says, when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And testify, I assure you, one of you will betray me. He was troubled because his best friend, the one who, who carried the money, the one who laid in his chest, the one who kissed him, the one who was right beside him, was going to betray me. And Jesus was troubled. He was shaking. He was going through a situation probably similar to what you're going through. So when, when you say, well, Jesus doesn't understand, God does not know, he came to experience what we experience. So when he says, don't be troubled, it's because he was. But now get ready. Jesus is going to say, I am troubled. John 12, 27. John 12, 27. And I'm just studying the passage that probably your pastor has studied with you. If you miss a Sunday, here they are. John eleven thirty three, 33, John 13, 21, and now John 12, 27. Now my soul is troubled. He's speaking in first person. There's not John that saw Jesus being troubled. Jesus is saying in 12, 27, 12, 27, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour, but that is why I came to this hour. He is troubled because all of my sins, all of your sins, all of your children's sins, your grandchildren, those that have not even been born, are going to be upon him in a few minutes, in a few hours, I'm sorry. And the father's going to say, I cannot see you anymore. And he's going to be abandoned by the father, so you and me will never be abandoned. Is that right? He was abandoned by the father, so you and me will never be abandoned. And he is troubled. Does he understand what trouble is? Does Jesus understand it? Does he realize what trouble is? I love Jesus because he knows what I'm living. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what is to be abandoned. Even if I feel, I know that I'm never going to be abandoned, but if I feel abandoned, he knows what is really to be abandoned by the Father. He was troubled. And now he can tell us, John 41, your heart must not be troubled. Huh? I went through that. It's very different when a doctor gives you medicine or applies you something to heal you. But he has never lived through that. He has never done that. He has never happened. He just learned it in school. And he said, use this medicine and get healed, get better. But if he lived that, and it worked for him, and this is how in the Middle Ages some doctors worked. They, they tried it themselves, and it worked, and they tried it some, some other person. I mean, that's being brave. But this is Jesus. He was troubled, and now he can tell us, don't be troubled. How? Verse 1, believe in God. You believe in God. You already believe in God. Now believe in me. He's putting the same, himself in the same level of God. Because you believe in God, now you can believe in me. Wow. Don't tell a Jew to believe in somebody else because they will know that we cannot trust men. 
There is a curse if you trust men. Jesus is more than a man. He is God. Like you trust, like you believe in God, now he's inviting us to believe in me. You want not to be troubled? Believe in God, but also believe in me. I am God. That's what Jesus is saying. He is the second person of the Trinity. He never stopped being God. He just took the, the, the human flesh to be a human being. So believe in God, believe also in me. If you don't believe in Jesus, if I don't believe in Jesus, I'll be in trouble. I'll be troubled. I'll be desperate. I'll be scared. I have friends, former students that tell me, I'm afraid of death. I cannot, I mean, I can do so many things, but I'm afraid. I'm terrified of death. Of course you have to be terrified of death. You're going to be there in a place alone that you have never been. You know, you know what's going to happen to you. But I, should I be afraid of death? No, I have a friend who was there. My older brother was there, and he came back. His name is Jesus. He came back. He conquered death, and he knows what death is. He was troubled, and he knows what it is to be troubled. He wants me not to be troubled. He can help me. So verse 1 says, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. How can Jesus be a Baptist man? I'll say it at the end. But this verse is key for what we're talking about. Verse 2, in my father's house, there are many in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. I had to put this version because there is a, a version very popular that says many mansions. There are songs in the hymn that says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I go to the Greek and it says oikon, which is not mansions. It's very romantic, very beautiful to have mansions in the Bible, but it's not biblical. Jesus did not say mansion. He said dwelling places, room, space for you. So there are many, not 11, not 11 dwelling places. Some good friends on Saturday come with some, they have not done it because they, now they're sending letters, but they come with a suitcase and try to give you a magazine. They say that this, this, this living in, in heaven is only for the disciples, only for 144,000. Jesus didn't say 144,000. Jesus didn't say 11. He said many, and maybe some of you are going to be in those dwelling places. So don't be troubled. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If not, if you don't believe this, I would have told you, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I love this promise. And I love Jesus' promises. What happens to us is that sometimes we believe them, but we don't pray for them to happen. Jesus promised so many things. God, the Bible is filled with promises that we don't pray for them. We have to learn how to make a difference between the promises that are for today and those that happened to Moses, those that happened to Daniel, those that happened to, to Abraham, okay, that do in that time. But if we study the Bible and find promises that are universal, that can apply today, let's pray for them. For example, let me give you one. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Do I find Jesus, pray for Jesus' return in our prayer concerns when I visit churches? I go to 40-something churches here in Rowan County. Yet, in nine years, I have not seen one church that is praying for the second coming of Jesus. We're not praying for this promise. Isn't that weird? Is that strange? Pray for Jesus. He will come back whenever he wants to come back. Uh-huh. Do you think that? That's wrong theology. I'm sorry. He will come back when the word of God, when the gospel has been taught to every tongue, every tribe, every people's group. And according to the Southern Baptist, we still have like 6,000 people's groups that we have not reached. But that's missiology. We can talk about that. My concern is that we're not praying for God's promises. And in the book of Revelation, in the last pages of Revelation, the Spirit says, come, Jesus. And the writer, John, says, yes, Jesus, come. 
Those are the last prayers of the Bible. Jesus, come back. And this is a praying church. I know it. I know it for the last nine years I've been here. And I know that this is a church that prays. Add this prayer to your prayer concerns. Jesus, come back. Sing it. Say it. Pray it. Move like you're going and sending people to different countries to bring the gospel to them. Pray for Jesus' return. Do you know that according to missiologists and numbers, in 20 years, if everybody, not only First China Grove, every one of our churches, every Christian, we're sharing the gospel with somebody else, in 20 years, we have covered the whole human beings. Everybody who had heard the name of Jesus and heard about being saved. You know what our problem is in our churches? We wait until the pastor preaches the gospel and we bring somebody and that person walks the aisle. That's something I found here in America. They were waiting for this to happen. If not, the person was not converted. I'm not going to discuss that theology. But I accepted Jesus when I was nine years old in an apartment. I never learned about walking the aisle. And I'm not saying that that is wrong. Please don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Jonas is teaching that. Walking the aisle is a sin. No, no, I'm not saying that. It's not the only way to get saved inside a church building. The pastor of a church where I was attending was an evangelical church in Venezuela. I was nine years old, and he wanted to do a VBS. The church was not happy with that. He didn't have enough leaders. So you know what he did? He talked with five different families and said, I'll do VBS this way. Mondays, I'll go to your family. Every Monday in the month of August, because August is, we don't have school in the month of August in Venezuela. On Tuesdays, I'll go to your family. You get the people, you get the kids, you get your neighbors, you get your cousins, everybody. On Wednesday, I'll go visit to your family. On Thursday, on Friday, so he had five VBS. Our turn was Thursdays. Okay, when checking the calendar, I saw that I accepted Jesus on August the 13th. That was a Thursday, the second Sunday, the second Thursday. And I heard this passage because I was tired of moving from one place to another. When I was in fourth grade, we have a, I have already been in five different schools. Not because I was a bad student, but because my dad moved, changed jobs from one place to another. In two countries, we live in the United States and we live in Venezuela. In four different cities because of different reasons that I want to explain here. I was tired of moving. I wanted a house. I wanted a house that belonged to us. I want a, li- a dwelling place. So when I heard this, that he went to prepare, that there are many mentions in the, when the pastor said, who wants to accept Jesus? I remember there was no jumping, no dancing, no, um, there was no, no music, no nothing. The pastor came, taught the Bible, and the family in charge gave a snack, and that was it. And I heard about this word. I heard, I heard that, that there was a house for me. That I, all I had to do is just accept Jesus, repent for my sin, and accept. And I said, I want a house there. The Holy Spirit touched me. I don't know why. And I was convicted of my sin, and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Reading to this passage. So Jesus is promising here something very interesting. He said there are many dwelling places. There are many more people that are going to believe, not only the 11 disciples. If you go to John 17, 20, Jesus says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. So he's praying for those that are going to believe because of the disciples' message. And then verse 24 says, Father, I desire those who you have given me to be with me where I am. Then, I, then they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the world's foundation. So there's more than the disciples. There's more than us. I know that you know this. There's more people to be saved out there. And I know the first China was doing as much as you can, investing in time, in leadership, in worship, in youth, to go reach to the ends of the world. I know that. 
So I'm not going to stress this with you. I'm just going to go through, the, through this passage. Verse 3. Verse 3. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Now, this sentence is unique in the Gospels. I will come back. Jesus never says in the Gospels, I will come back. What? Again, Jesus never says in the Gospels, I will come back. He says the Son of Man will return. He says a man had a field and all this, and he left, and when he comes back. So we understand that Jesus is coming back from his parables, from his teaching. But never, Jesus says, I will come back. Only here. We see it in Paul and Thessalonians, but read through the whole Gospels. You'll never see that. It's the only place here. Check this verse 3. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. I love that promise. I like it so much because I wanted to live with Jesus. I wanted to, to, to grab his hand and go and live with him. I don't care what's happening here on earth. I want to be there. Hebrews 9.28 says, So also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And that's Hebrews 9.28. So verse 3 is the only place where Jesus speaks about coming back. John 12.32 12.32 says, as for me, if I am lifted up from earth, I will draw people to myself. And in 12.26, 12.26 says, if anyone serves me, he must, also, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Honor him. In John 12.36, Simon has a question and says, Lord, 12.36, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. There is a constant promise in the book of John that we're going to be reunited with him. It's not once that he said it. He kind of intuitively guide us through this message. You're going to be with me. You're going to be with me. But here in verse 3 is the only time when he says, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. Verse 4, you know the way where I am going. <laughs> I like Jesus' humor. You know the word where I'm going. Jesus is, is saying something to provoke a question. Many times Jesus teaches asking questions, but here is provoking a question. Okay? He doesn't say where he's going. He doesn't say what he says. He says, you know the way to where I'm going. He provokes the question that Thomas is going to ask. He likes to teach this way to make people say, what is, what is the issue here? Verse, verse 4. If they know the way, they do not need to know the destination. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is intercepted by hypocrisy and formalism. They jump the wall and join him on his way to the celestial city. They walk on the same path, but skipping, entering through the door that initiates the way, which is Jesus. Many today are the same. Many today are the same. Many today come to church. Many today help in Baptist men. Many today go on mission trips. Many today, I'm not going to say this as a preacher because it's not about you, but many today maybe stand up in a pulpit. Maybe today can play an instrument. Many today can do many good things, but have not entered through the door, which is Jesus Christ. So he says, Jesus says in verse 4, you know the way to where I am going. 
Remember, the door is Jesus. If we skip the door, if we try to enter, jumping like, like hypocrisy and um, the other guy, formalism in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, we're not going to go anywhere. We're going to get tired. We're going to get bored. We're going to give up like Judas probably and say, no, this is not for me. And, and, and later turn around because we have not found the way. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? Thomas is still thinking about the way, or the way as a road or a roadmap to a destination and not as an inner commitment or a way of life. In contrast to Peter, who asked in first person, Thomas is concerned for the 11. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And here's Jesus' answer. He told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the first time that Jesus says, I am, since the resurrection. And when he said the resurrection, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to this. He says, I am, and then he has two different predicates, the resurrection and life. He doesn't say, I am the resurrection, I am the life. He says, I am, and then he has, he has two, just like here. He says, I am, and then he says, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. He has already told Martha that he was life in 1125. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and that he was the truth in 8.32.36. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 36, I'm in chapter 8. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you will really be free. Now he states that he is the way. So he has said to Martha that he is the resurrection and the life, and he has said in chapter 8.32.36 that he is also the life. And now he says that he is the way. But Instead of being the way a road, instead of the way being a place, the way is a person. The way is a person. That's probably shocking because you want a religion. You want a set of rules. You want somebody to tell you how to get there. You want a GPS that will guide you and tell you turn right, turn left, turn when I was coming here this morning, I, I wanted to be here at least 15 minutes earlier. And my GPS gave me three different, and, and I'm driving, I'm checking and checking and checking. Say, okay, nine minutes, no, eight minutes, no, seven minutes. Which one takes me easier? We try to, we try to, yeah, yeah. Which one is Sunday morning and it's raining? Maybe this place is, no, maybe I-85 is, is better. The way is a person. I'm, I'm, I mean, to get here, I know it has to go through a road. That's fine. But when I talk about being the way to the Father, is a person, it's not a religion, it is Jesus himself. So if you know him, if you have received him, if you accept him, if you repent from your sin, you are in the way to the Father, amen? amen. How does this relate to the, to the Baptist man? First of all, in verse one, Jesus has a clear message of comfort. Jesus has a very clear message of comfort. Any Baptist man, any woman that is a Christian also, any Baptist young person, should have a clear message of comfort. I'm not going to preach to you about First Baptist China. Bro. I'm not going to invite you to the, to the Spanish church. I'm going to tell you about Jesus and tell you about comfort and peace. Every time an angel shows up in the Bible, the first word is, don't be afraid. Calm down, because they're big, awesome creatures. I mean, light and bright, so people get scared when they see angels. Jesus is not showing up as an angel, but he's saying, don't be troubled. Can he say that? Can he say that? Yes, because he has been troubled. John says it, and he himself said it. We just read a few minutes ago. So if he was troubled, he can tell us what that is, and he can tell us, don't be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So a message for us, Baptist men and women and children, 
is have a clear message of comfort to those who are troubled. We're going to go out through these doors and we'll go to the people and tell them, if you're troubled, Jesus is the way. Jesus was troubled and he can take your troubles, not make them disappear, but he'll handle them. He'll live, he'll walk to you, with you through your situation. Number two, why is Jesus a Baptist man or what if Jesus was a Baptist man? Second, he speaks about his father. He speaks about his father in heaven. He speaks about his father in heaven who has a plan from, from him for you. God has a plan for you. Maybe you don't have a plan. Maybe you're moving from one place to another. Maybe you're going from one situation to another. Maybe you're going through different trouble situations. God has a plan for you. I like when Jesus says, my plan is I'm going to go prepare a place and then come back and pick you up. That sounds like a plan. I like that plan. This morning when I left my parents' home, there was a nurse writing a plan of what we need to do with my dad who is, who is in bed now. And she was saying this, this, this. I like that plan. I like that plan because it involves somebody to come and help us with my dad. My dad is in bed, so we have to do almost everything. Give him a bath, feed him, everything, everything in bed. And we're tired. My, my sister's every night there I'm during the day, so we're tired. But when somebody comes and says, here's a plan, I say, that's relief. Isn't that relief when somebody has a plan? When Jesus has a plan, when Jesus has a plan, I like that plan. He's going to come, he's going to prepare a place, and then he's going to come and pick us up and take us with him. So when, where he is, we will also be. If I'm a Baptist man, I have a plan. I go to where there is a disaster, and it's difficult because a hurricane, a tornado just, just went by. We have this family that you're trying to help, and you have to develop a plan. Baptist men develop plans. We don't go and start working it like crazy. We go, listen, watch, sit down, make numbers, and come back and say, we have a plan. Jesus had a plan. That's the reason I see Jesus a Baptist man. He has a clear message. He, has a, he speaks about his father. He has a plan. And number three, he shares the gospel. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. He's introducing himself. And he says, I am the way. He's presenting the gospel. We as Baptist men need to bring the gospel. Yes, we need to work with our hands. Yes, we need to, to feed people. Yes, we need to help and do it. But always bring Jesus. We don't do things because we're good. No. Jesus said, why do you call me good if only good is God? So we don't do what we do as Baptist men because we're good people. We do it because God is good, and we want people to glorify God because of our good works. Amen? So we bring the gospel. Jesus brought himself to them and said, I am the way. I'm not going to say, First China Row, Rowan Association. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say Jesus is the way. He forgives sins. He'll change. He'll change situation. He'll help you because he already lived in what you're living. So we have three reasons that Jesus is a Baptist man. If Jesus is a model for Baptist man because he has a clear message of comfort. He brings comfort to those that are in trouble. Number two, he speaks about his father because he has a plan for us. And number three, he shares the gospel. He shares about himself. Jesus is the only way. He says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. So many people say, but there are so many religions. Jesus says, I am the way. Nobody comes to the Father. No other faith, no other way of thought claims this exclusivity that Jesus says. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning because Jesus came to bring us life. We thank you this morning because he is the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you because he was troubled, and now he understands what we're going through. 
he saw death, he saw sickness, he saw poverty, he saw problems, and he conquered. He is the one we're introducing today. He's the one we're presenting today. He is the one we want to bring to this desperate world. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. Thank you, Jesus, for raising ministries like Baptist men that go when there is a disaster. Go and help the needy. Go and, and serve as your feet, as your eyes, as your hands here in this world. Father, give us health and also raise younger generations of Baptist men. Raise younger teenagers that want to serve you. If not a Baptist man, but doing the same ministry, Father, of loving, of caring. Father, bring more and more people to serve you with gladness. Lord, I pray that you will this week, next week, and the next weeks, bring light to this church about their decisions they're making. On youth minister, on music minister, bless them, Father. Continue to open doors so they can reach like we heard, we just heard that the, the potential youth minister shared with a young person, and that boy is going to be baptized this week. Father, this is amazing. This is incredible. This, this is, I praise you, Father, for this kind of people. We want more people like, like him in Rowan County to go to North Carolina, to go to the ends of the world and bring Jesus to them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.